6th of May. It's a May day, the day after Cinco de Mayo. So it's uh, Cinco de Seis and it's Cinco de... Wow, do I have a headache? No, I, I, was, I didn't have a big party yesterday. I did uh, celebrate the, uh, the uh, Mexican culture by having uh, some, some food from a local uh, eatery that was uh you know mexican food it was good i had a happy meal or not a happy meal but i had a, a, a an enjoyable meal uh of of in a in a tasty garbage burrito um uh, which is certainly not traditional mexican food but it was good it was good um and so i you know i'm happy to be on to thursday moving on to what's next right What's next? We were talking about that, you know, in the in the TV show, The West Wing. That's one thing that Martin Sheen's president would say to indicate to everybody around him, "Okay, we're done with this topic. Let's move on." You know, so he'd say, "Okay, what's next?" And that meant, "Okay, we're not discussing this anymore. I don't want to hear pros and cons anymore. I'm done. I've made my decision. Let's go to the next thing." Um, yeah, you know, I, I more and more, uh, regardless of who's the president in the White House, I look at the uh, West Wing, and I hope and hope and hope and hope that 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 decisions are discussed and thought through with the same uh, fervent vigor that they are on that TV show, that that people are concerned and arguing passionately both sides of every issue. Uh, you know, now on that show, the um, the political leanings of the the uh, that that president and that administration were definitely uh, democratic and, and fairly liberal I don't always agree with the things that they were going to say um, don't always disagree either but um, uh, you know regardless of the political leanings you hope that the people are arguing passionately both for and against each different idea that within the administration there's people who who, who try to make the point both ways. Um, you know, if, if I were president, I think I would probably say, you know, every time we have a conversation, I want at least one person designated opposition and it shouldn't be the same person every time, but there should be somebody who has to think through what the opposing views are and, and argue for them so that I get to hear both sides of the story, uh, before a decision is made. So, you know, you would hope that a president would do that, that I don't want to just be fed the line that, you know, the, the party line on everything, um, that hey, I want to hear from people who, who either believe the opposite or uh, at least can make the case for the opposite and tell me intelligently why they believe that, so that you can then um, uh, make decisions uh, based on on reasoned debate. Um, too often, I feel like uh, that's not the case. I haven't felt that that was the case. Um, Wow, let me think. When was the last time I felt that was the case? Um, yeah, I can't think of a president that I voted for that I thought that was the case. So that's unfortunate. But, um, you know, I could be wrong. Here's Aaron. Hi, how are you today? I'm dandy as candy. You know, I was thinking about um, our previous conversations about, you know, uh, White Houses and and referencing the um, the West Wing. And, you know, if I were president, I would want 
a reasoned debate before you make each decision, right? And then as president, you say, okay, what's next and move on once you've made your decision. But you want somebody designated, you know, in your group each time you talk about something to to present a reasonable perspective as to what the opposing views are and why those opposing views exist. What are the what is the basis for having those opposing views so that you're not always just hearing the party line on each of the different issues, you know? And thinking back, I can't think of a presidential uh, 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 a president that I feel in my lifetime that that was ever the case, that they that, that they it maybe it was happening and I could be wrong. You know, maybe it was happening in the White House, but I never got the sense that there was any president in the White House in my lifetime that I can think of and say, yeah, they had somebody who was was, you know, in his ear, at least letting him hear what the opposing perspectives were. And I, and I get the sense that all of them were being talked to by people who, who were very much aligned with what the dogma of their party was and that the decisions were coming from that basis, whether they were, you know, conservative or liberal. Um, I just feel that, you know, can you think of a president where you thought that, yeah, maybe that guy's listening to both sides before they make a decision? Um. You know, um, yeah, I think George H.W. Bush would be in that category. Um, no, he had a good sure relationship with the. Okay. Yeah. Can I can I finish? Yeah. Um, I I I'm not sure that I agree with your premise. Um, uh-huh. I think that at least from a political standpoint, they're going to every decision that they that they make, they you know run through the political. Um, you know, what, what, what will the other side say about this or what are, mm-hmm. you know, how do we, because they have to learn, they have to talk about how to frame it. I think sure. Bill Clinton very much did that. I think that, uh, you know, that he considered both sides. They certainly have their priorities, but you know, you, you figure out which, which hill you want to die on right. and, you know, and what you want to give to the opposition. Um, and so I think that they do, I think you have to. Yeah. Now, whether uh, they, if you're talking about them, um, you know, going through like and in, in, in considering the other side's position in an effort to decide, like, you know, like, do I want to take the other side's position? You know, they have policy people who work on that stuff and make recommendations. You know? Right. So, yeah, no, I understand that. What I was saying is and, and, and I think you're absolutely right that there was a lot of political calculation going on. And I think that in that from that perspective, then you're right. There were. I think every president has done that, and I think that they have to. Um, but I'm not talking about the political fallout and trying to to you know predetermine what that's going to be. I'm saying that when you're making a decision on how to handle something, that you have people who who uh, you know play that that role of hey, I'm going to sort of research what the other side is, or at the very least, call in somebody from the other party and say, you know, what is your your opinion on this? Why you know? And, and I think that 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 very often they think they know, but I don't think that they always do. And I, and I, I don't think that any president has done that in any way that is obvious, you know, like in the West wing, they actually had a character that the president hired who was, who was a conservative Republican in a democratic, uh, position who was supposed to be an advisor of the president. Remember there was one season they had that, uh, Ainsley uh, Hayes. Yeah. 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 She worked for the white house counsel's office. Yeah, which is not necessarily a, you know, policy position, but uh, uh, 
I don't know, they blur the lines a lot on that TV show as to who is responsible for what, you know, in order to make storylines move forward. Because, again, it's a television show. It's entertainment. But, uh, yeah. No, I don't disagree with you. I mean, they, they certainly look – they've all look at, like, you know, what's the political capital going to be expended to get this through? And, and you know, is that worth the effort? And they do a lot of that kind of measurement to say, you know, this is what we're going to tackle today versus what we're not going to tackle you know, somehow Biden, who 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 lost seats in the House, um, won a narrow presidential victory and has a tied Senate, thinks he has a mandate to go in and spend trillions and trillions of dollars, which is like, OK, that's an interesting political decision. Right. Uh, right. I think and he thinks I'm to... old and I'm going to be dead before anybody cares or, you know, or can can yes. use it to hurt me. So what do I care? I'm going to do what I want. Right. Well, I agree with that. You know, they he also wants to add people to the Supreme Court, wants to give. D.C. statehood um, and uh, uh, and Puerto Rico statehood. So he's, I mean, he's. Yeah, he's I'm not just, sure I would heap that on him. I would say people in his administration want that. I think that he. Well, it's the difference. Yeah, true. Well, I mean, uh, it, it, the difference is, is the president, you know, instead of saying let's do it, has said let's study it. <laughs> I think that he's trying to walk a line there to appease people in his party. No, no, he's with, not. He's without, not. Jen Psaki yeah. has been out on the out in, in her press conferences in support of both of those things. So. Yeah. And that's his spokesperson. So, you know, I, I'm of the opinion that for D.C. statehood, you know, all people need representation. Fine. Make them part of Maryland. Yeah, I would say that the whole, you know, in fact, the, part of the reason you know, everybody who, who went to, to school remembers that we were told that, you know, the reason they created that place was that it wasn't part of a state, that the capital will be its own thing. Right. Yes. And the fact that people live there now, um, you know, because originally it was a swamp. Um, uh, the, the fact that people live there. Yeah, it's like, OK, so then make them part of the voting block for Maryland. But this, but the but D.C. should remain a separate thing. I totally well, agree with that. If we're going to have a building. Yeah, carve out it, the federal it, buildings and the federal district as D.C. and make the neighborhoods you know, like, yeah, make them part of Maryland or right. Virginia. And I don't care. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, that to me, that's a much, much more sensical way of handling it. You know, it's like if we're going to have a 51st state, it's going to be more like uh, Puerto Rico than it's going to be uh, Washington, D.C. in my mind. I, You know, but. Yeah. There have been votes in Puerto Rico about becoming a state. Yeah. And they, it's never passed. Yeah. They, they have not said they wanted it. Exactly. So, you know, um, although I think after this last um hurricane that blew through there and leveled the place i think there was some people thinking well you know if we were a state this would have been handled better and differently yes because right. you know there's different jurisdiction the federal government could have stepped in right. um you know um so well and they were in financial dire straits before the hurricane right yeah no that's it's just the, been poorly managed yep yep So um, there was something else we were talking about that I was going to bring back up, but I didn't remember what it was. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's funny. We we were talking about um, uh, some of the richest people in the world, Bezos and Musk and, and stuff earlier. And uh, and it, I was just curious, you know, we there was a movie out recently about uh, uh, Jean-Paul Getty. It was out last year, I think, or the year before. Uh, and how when his grandchild was was kidnapped that he like bargained with the kidnappers because he wasn't going to pay them what they weren't he's he was uh you know famously frugal guy 
um, and at one point in time was the richest person in the world um, by most accounts. And uh, uh, he basically made all his money in oil. His um, his dad had bought like uh, oil rights, mineral rights to a couple thousand acres and became a millionaire. And then when he became uh, an adult at some point in his life, his dad gave him like $10,000 and said, you go invest it and start your life. That was his seed money. And he did the same thing. He just went and bought a whole bunch of mineral rights to, to you know, ground out in Oklahoma. And, uh, and of course, you know, this is in the, in the 40s, uh, you know, 30s, 40s. And that's right when airplanes and cars and everything needed oil, right? So the oil industry just went bonkers. And, uh, and you think about, you know, the Getty Museum and the, um, you know, the Getty Research and Getty Foundation and the Getty Conservative, uh, uh, Conservation Institute. There's all kinds of Getty things out there. And at his peak, he had about $6 billion. Now, granted, wow. there, there's been um, a lot of inflation and things have changed, but just for measurement or for for an idea, number 10 on the on the Forbes list in, in 2021 was worth $84.5 billion. And number one was Jeff Bezos at $177 billion. Um, uh, yeah. So, Which is insane. Yeah. So That's when, just insane amounts of money. Yeah. When he when he died, um, there was about twenty seven billion dollars inflation inflation adjusted. Yeah, and he was about his wealth was about one eight hundred ninety third of U.S. gross national product. So that gives you an idea. You know, you can kind of you know compare, um, you know where people are, and if I can get it, see if I can get that same info for for uh, Bezos. If we can figure out where you know how much he makes for you know what or what's his wealth compared to gross national product. See, as of May, they've now got uh, Bezos up over two hundred billion because that he's you know that fluctuates. Um, yes, and it'll probably go down a little bit. Uh, now that things are opening up and people aren't so dependent on Amazon. Possibly, but I think that, you know, uh, of all of the things, I think his is probably, of all the, the, the rich people out there, his is more inflation-proof than some in that once you get used to the idea of, hey, I click a button and it shows up on my front porch, um, you know, that's that's a very sticky thing. It is a sticky thing. You know, as anybody who's bought stuff from Amazon knows, you know, I mean, I remember buying stuff when they first when, I, when they first started out, they were just a bookstore. And I remember buying books from them and going, this is the coolest thing ever. You click a button and the book shows up. Uh, and I went, oh, yeah, sell your bookstore stock. When, when Amazon launched, there was like four or so different like national bookstore chains. Now Barnes and yeah. Noble's all that's left and it's hanging on by a thread. Yeah. Yep. Um, there was Borders and was it Walden Books? Uh-huh. And um, there was a bookstore that was in all the malls. And I don't remember the name of it. I'm trying to remember that one, too. Um, That's the one I was trying to remember. It was, uh, um, didn't it start with a D? I'm yeah, I don't it. remember. Yeah. So, and yeah, and then Amazon wiped them out. And then all your local bookstores, although some of those are still around, you know, the ones that that had the really good coffee and the big fluffy chairs and you go in and, and uh, Barnes and Noble has tried to recreate that. And they've done a pretty good job. They, a lot of them have Starbucks in them. They do. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of little private, um, privately owned bookstores that still exist. 
you know, that, yes. that, you know, like that, that are local to like, they, that's what you were talking about that, that are, um, um, you know, B Dalton was the like one the, I was trying to think of. B Dalton. There you go. Yeah. There was a D um, in it, but like the B was the first letter. <laughs> yeah. The frugal I'm, frigate in Redlands is like a children's bookstore and, and it's, it's everything you'd expect everything you'd want in a children's bookstore. Yeah. Um, they're, they're obviously their prices are higher than Amazon because they don't have that kind of economy of scale and they don't, Amazon actually prints some of the books that it sells. Right. Um, and so um, they don't have, they, you know, the prices are higher, but it's a wonderful little bookstore frugal frigate in Redlands. You know, you should check it out. Redlands, California. Yeah. yeah. Support your local Claire. bookstores. No, some of those specialty exactly. stores, um, you know, like uh, uh, comic book stores, you know, that have, have new and used things. And a lot of uh, bookstores that also carry like used books or, um, they have signed books and they do readings and they support local authors so that they're, they'll do um, come in and do readings from different um, uh, groups that, that do, you know, write short stories and things like that. There's a lot of nice events and a community that can build up around a, a small store. Um, I know yes. that uh, when I used to work down in the LA area, one of the guys that I worked with um, was part of a, a, like started out as a workshop and then they just became a group of people who would, write and they would you know some of them write novels some of them write short stories but they would get together regularly and talk about what they were writing and 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 you know basically take advantage of that community and then on occasion they would have like a reading and i remember you know after work going down and and listening to them read like the first um you know uh thousand words of their current project whatever it is or, or a selected thousand words of it and it was always very interesting it was interesting to hear you know the to see the different styles and the contrast when they when you're actually hearing somebody read them excuse me right then and there and uh you know it was fun to support that and they and the and the readings were always at a local bookstore that supported their programs and their plans and stuff in that area um you know and those are the kind of things that that you know the that amazon will never be able to do because they don't have a place to do that they don't have a a, a meeting place um you know so we hope that, i uh, am a big fan i'm an auditory learner so mm -hmm. i uh uh i like listening to people read books and so i i tend to do a lot of audible um uh read you know i i listen uh -huh. to a lot of books on audible um you know, but most live readings, especially by the author, where they know exactly what they wrote and why they wrote it, yeah. um, you know, is it's that's pretty phenomenal. I mean, get an opportunity to hear an author mm -hmm. read their own book uh, live. That's you should go for it. That is a cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like they're going to read the entire novel, but they're going to read parts of it and key parts of it sometimes. And what's nice is they also then very often will do a Q&A. And so you can say, well, what were you thinking about when you said, you know, when you chose this word, what does that mean to you? Because it, you know, my interpretation is not necessarily yours. It, I, I, this doesn't make sense to me. And they can explain themselves a little bit. And for all of you who ever took a, a, a literature class in school and got frustrated when the teacher says, well, that's not what they meant um, or this is what they meant. That's how they know. <laughs> Authors often talk about their work. And so, um, you know, the, and if it's it, if it turns out to be a significant work later on, people, you know, have written down or remember what the author said about it. So it's not just the words, but then the author's um, uh, conversation around those words to and that's how your, your teacher knows what was what they meant or what they were trying to say, particularly if you're dealing with poetry, where sometimes it can be pretty obscure. Um, um, but, yeah, it's it's. Uh, you know, interesting to be able to pick the brain of the person who put together that thing that you really, really like, 
you know, pick any story that you like, even if it was one that you never really read, but you just saw the television show, right? Who wouldn't want to sit down and have a conversation, you know, just have, have a beer with or have a coffee with, you know, George R. R. Martin, if you're a fan of Game of Thrones, and just say, you know, how did you do this? Or why did, why was this part of the story? You know, it's just there's so much detail there that, you know, and enlightenment that he could add to you. And you got to imagine for a lot of authors, uh, depending on their style, but a lot of authors, there's probably a whole bunch of stuff, uh, background ideas and stories that never actually made it into the to the published story. You know, um, uh, the, you know, if Tolkien was famous for that, right? Lord of the Rings author, um, he he had reams and reams of background information about all the characters that he had developed and fleshed out. That that you know, after his death, his son sort of assembled into some different forms to publish so people could have access to since the author was no longer alive. But uh, um, can you imagine sitting down and talking to him about, well, how did you do this? Or why, why is this the case? You know, how, how did, why did you make that choice? Um, uh, and to hear them explain and, and, and kind of give you the reasoning. So, yeah, support your I also am very interested in the relationship that the author develops with their main character, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so when when you know they're they're living with this person that they've that they've created but you know even in their own mind they're they're this person takes on i mean they're 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 a virtual human being right i mean so you know what's and i asked dean Koontz this i i interviewed dean Koontz years ago a couple of times and so enjoyed the interviews and i Mm -hmm. his favorite character um is his odd thomas character and i said you know when you're done when you're done uh, with an odd Thomas book, do you miss him? And he said, yeah, I do. You know, because during the time that he's writing, he, mm-hmm. this, this odd Thomas is in his head and always with him. And, right. uh, uh, you know, and that's interesting to me as these Absolutely. characters take on life, you know? Yeah. Well, and, so, and a good author, that's the joy is that that character's in your head when you're reading it too. Right. Exactly. I mean, how many times have you gotten to exactly. the end of a story, end of a book and gone, but I want more, I'm not done. I want, you know, I, darn you know you've been yelling about uh, game of thrones for years oh yeah <laughs> i love this i love the stories <laughs> and it's like finish the dang stories you know damn it i want more um because because the because the tv show was just not satisfying you know no, it the con- wasn't the conclusion was not sa- and that's the biggest crime about the tv show it wasn't the the how they did or what they- it wasn't satisfying and you know that everything that that he wrote was so it's like, come on, just give yes. us the real ending. That's all I want. It's the real ending. <laughs> you know, it's Which... interesting. And we talked about this when Game of Thrones was was um, airing in its first run, you know, mm-hmm. the, the show on HBO. Um, I believe that the character, oh, my gosh, I just forgot his name. He was um, uh, a, a member of the Night's Watch, um, a, a heavy set fellow who'd been disowned by his really aggressive right. father. Yeah. Um, um, uh, Sam Tarley. There you go. Um, I believe that Sam Tarley is probably the closest to George R. R. Martin in his personality. Um, I may be wrong, but mm-hmm. um, you know, physically he, he this... looks like him. Yeah, I mean, but you're I, right. I wonder... He's the, the studious one who studies and 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 knows knows things, right? Yes, and makes connections that other people don't make, and right. You know, um, you know, and I love the depth of his character. He's 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 a guy you want to know and a guy you want to be around because he's so good. Um, you know, just uh, 
I'm, I'm, I would love to, to know what George R. R. Martin says, would say about Sam Tarley mm-hmm. and his relationship to Sam Tarley. You know, yeah. so Samwell, like Samwell Gamgee from another. There series. you go. It's a good name, Samwell. So if you have, if, yeah, if you have a character that you really want your your uh, readers to love, name him Samwell. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> yeah. You're right. He's an interesting character who, again, in the, here's where it and again, again, it's been years and I've just started rewatching them. I think I'm on season two right now of rewatching the, the TV shows. Um, and, and once I finish the TV shows, I think I'm going to go and read the books again. Uh, and maybe someday in the future, by that time, he'll have released the next novel. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I if you asked me. What became of Samwell at the end of the series? I don't know that I could tell you. I'd have to think about it because it just got lost in the in the television adap- adaptation. Oh yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know. I, yes. Uh, there. Well, there's that that whole thing left everybody with so many unanswered questions. Um, hence your frustration. Um, yeah. Yeah, because you don't really know, you know. And he certainly, yeah. you know, his redemption you think would be complete right by the end like he was he was he he's one of the characters whose story you want you want finished and um uh and that didn't happen in the in the television show so um wikipedia says according to george R. R. martin the character of samuel tarley is the most relatable to him when asked why martin said in a 2014 interview because sam's the fat kid who likes to read books and doesn't like to go upstairs and just like Tarly, Martin, uh, they both had a troubled relationship with their fathers. Neither is a fighter at heart. He's refused. He refused to go to the Vietnam War because he believed it was stupid, a sentiment that is reflected throughout the entire Song of Ice and Fire. Uh, Samwell would choose not to fight, just like George R.R., but in this case, he had to survive. Or in his case. Ah, see, I was right. That's yep. cool. So, yep, <laughs> yep, that is him. Or at least most like him. Right. Yeah. Right. So, I I love to read. I love to get lost in books. Uh, absolutely love it. And, uh, um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I can't wait till the next um, Outlander book comes out. Yeah. Yeah, you know? I've got... And that's um, in November. I've got Elaine now reading the uh, Foundation series which is a uh, sort of seminal um, uh, sci-fi uh, that had been written by um, Isaac Asimov and was originally written I- as a series of short stories back in like the, the early 40s. Um, and I think he did the last of the original trilogies back in like 1966. And then 20 years later in the 80s, he came back and wrote four more novels, two pre-novels and two post-novels that tie into that whole series and in fact he's tied in um like the uh the book and the movie i robot is in that same universe uh and as well as he has another series i think it was called a eternity series um i could be wrong on that but anyway he's also in that same universe so he tied in a lot of his his sci-fi into the same sort of world and uh, anyway, it's uh, the Foundation series is absolutely excellent. Giant scope going covering thousands of years uh, in this in this 
world where there's a galactic empire and 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 but it's very human stories set in that time and space um cool wide sweeping stories and part of the reason i did that is because uh apple tv has uh started the process of creating a tv show around that and so i thought well you should read the books before you watch the tv show and so i and i know she'll be interested in the tv show when it comes around but it's going to be on apple tv i want to say this fall is when it starts oh sounds fun sounds good the foundation series i'll check it out yeah yeah it's i mean i know you're not a huge sci-fi fan but like i said this one is you know it's it's set in a you know far galaxy far far away kind of story but it's um obviously predated star wars by decades but um but it's really human stories about you know people who who want to be in charge and people who are trying to do the right thing for humanity and that kind of stuff so um yeah i I strongly recommend the foundation series if you get a chance and let's see if i can see if there's an actual release date for when it's going to be on tv of course you know 57 clicks later set to premiere premiere in 2021 late 2021 is all it says they haven't given it an actual date yet so we'll see that could be december you know 29th um i hope not <laughs> i i don't like that when they say late 21 you know third end of you know some sometime in the first quarter which could be you know march 31st <laughs> it could you're yeah. like but i'm impatient apple has famously done that you know he's like yeah we'll 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 have something out in 2021 and it comes out you know in like the first week of december of 2021 or something it's like yeah okay i guess that's technically so what you do is you tell yourself it's going to be that last day that it possibly could be in their projections and if it comes early then you're happy exactly yeah surprise yourself right we'll see we'll see So. so the um department of justice is vowing to appeal the court ruling against the cdc's eviction moratorium um the department of justice argued in a court filing Wednesday that the U.S. eviction moratorium should not be tossed out because the court had said, you know, you've overstayed your welcome, CDC. We, mm-hmm. it, you know, you, this is where they tossed out this um, eviction moratorium. It's been over a year or it's been about a year. Um, yeah. uh, so mere, mere, mere hours after a federal judge ruled that the, the CDC had overstepped its authority by enacting the policy. So the um, oh, I guess it was enacted last September, but morator- the mor- moratorium enacted last September prohibits landlords from evicting right. tenants in certain circumstances related to the pandemic. And so um, allow it has a been landlord extended. to actually run their business again. Right. And so, yes, and this it's ex- been extended twice. And that's what the court says, that you didn't have the authority to extend it the way you did. So, you know, um, people need to need to be, make things right with their landlords and yeah. most cities like um, the city of San Bernardino, um, other cities, other counties, um, have put together programs, mm-hmm. uh, for, for rental, re- you know, relief. So evict- e- eviction mitigation, um, and you should look in your own city. If you are, if you are at risk of losing your, yeah. you know, being kicked out of your rental uh, property, uh, then you, uh, then, then get some, 
get get your name on the list for one of those programs and they pay directly like the one in san bernardino they pay the money directly to your landlord yeah so that and that's great so like if, if you've been in a situation where you know you you're because of covid you're you lost your job and you haven't been able to make your rent and you've been protected but you still owe that rent and so these programs will help you help you pay what the the, the back rent that you owe um, and let's face it, most people, it's not like you have any hate or, you know, uh, for your landlord or you, you want to pay them. I mean, they, they've got to pay their mortgage payments just like you've got to pay your rental payments. I mean, they're, you know, they're 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 not doing anything evil. They're providing a place for you to live that, you know, so you probably want to pay them. I mean, they, you know, they, they you know, it's not like they're generally some evil corporation. Most of the time it's, you know, some guy, some woman, you know, it's like, hey, yeah. You know, I had some money. I invested and bought this property, and I'm renting it out. And you know, I still have to make my payments to the mortgage company. And so, uh, you know, this is a way you can help them out and help yourself out, and everybody's happy. So, yeah, take advantage of those yes. programs. So, you know, and and we've been saying, you know, it's interesting because we we had um, the city of San Bernardino on the air. I don't know if you remember a couple of months ago talking about this um, uh, uh, this rental relief, this eviction mitigation program, and you know. There are people who've been thinking, "Woohoo! I don't have to pay my rent," but but when this when this eviction moratorium is over, all of that rent comes due, all of it, and so um, you know, don't be stupid. You know, pay what you can now and take advantage of this mitigation programs um, because otherwise you're going to be homeless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Yeah. Don't you know? And, and that you know it. If you're trying to to get to the point where maybe at some point you can buy a home or something, you don't need these kind of things because because most landlords will then report that to credit agencies that you you know you didn't make your your rent payments and oh, it'll mess up your credit. And so, you know, don't take a a black mark on your credit if you don't have to. There's there's programs and plans out there to help you, you know, and and it costs you nothing to call and ask, right? It costs no, you nothing to go it, online no. and look. So. Yeah, don't don't yeah, procrastinate. Yeah, you need to avail yourself. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about other and that people. sounds new. Yeah, I that you know a lot of times that's the 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 hardest thing is is you know the the for people is the inaction. It's just a you know I didn't go and look. I didn't ask the question, and it costs you nothing to do that. There's no reason to fear just saying, "Hey, is there a program or who do I talk to about this?" You know, where do I go? There's plenty of people out there who, who are there to help you. So don't fear taking that first step of just saying, you know, what's available? Where, where do I go? Who do I talk to? How do I deal with this? Um, you know, you don't have to uh, be stoic and handle it all on your own. Exactly. So Exactly. Um, hmm. so, Brittany Spears a- has come out and said that she um, is uh, – not real happy with a lot of the documentaries that have been recently posted about her. She says there's a bunch of people talking about me that don't know me. Um, and, uh, and so she's saying, you know, I'm pretty happy person. And, you know, she's why highlight the most negative and traumatizing times in my life forever from forever ago. Um, she feels like there's been a lot of just negative stuff out there. And then she goes on a lighter note, this is a video of me dancing. I mean, mm. I get that. I do. I, I do. But yeah. these are her biggest fans, people who yeah. who they think they know her. They don't, of course, but they love her. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I, the, the people who are out there carrying signs that say free Britney, 
you know, these are people who are devoted to her. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think she's talking to them so much. She's talking to the filmmakers and the people doing the documentaries because, you know, by the very nature of that type of film, you always put a spin on it. You know, you're sharing an opinion. And so what, how you choose to edit that and and what kind of um, uh, uh, narration you put with your documentary, you know, certainly points people in a certain direction, makes, you know, leads people to believe certain things. And, and I think she feels like a lot of that stuff has been wrongly assembled. At least that's what she's kind of saying here. Um, now we will get to hear her or at least uh, maybe we'll get to hear her cause they don't ne- won't necessarily, you know, stream it live, but we will eventually probably get the, uh, the, the, you know, the words, uh, the do- documented words that were spoken, but she's going to speak for herself, uh, to the judge in June. And so, you know, be patient Spears fans. Um, apparently she's going to, uh, go in and talk to the, to the judge and, and it's, it's basically come out that she's not going to ask for the conservatorship to be ended. She's just going to ask that her dad be removed. That's been kind of an ongoing theme out of her camp has been, you know, my dad is my dad. He shouldn't be the conservator as well. Um, especially her personal conservator, um, is, is the issue for her. You know, it's like, fine, he can be part of the conservatorship for the, for the money, but but as my personal conservator, I want somebody else um, making personal decisions. So, yeah. yeah, and I can understand that. Like you said, she's forty something. She doesn't need dad telling her what to yeah. do. She's thirty nine. She'll be forty in December or November. Oh, okay. I looked it up once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure you had she's, said she's forty something once before, so I think I was quoting you. But but I'll stand corrected. <laughs> we're trying to grow her up Stop more than she is she doesn't, she doesn't want to grow up <laughs> yes yeah yes yeah because on the lighter note there's a video of her dancing <laughs> well i mean if you think about it yeah she doesn't really have to worry about anything you know no. her life is handled exactly it's like she doesn't make any decisions because she can't she's not in charge but uh, God, I would hate that. I would oh, hate that. I, can so you imagine? Much. Can you imagine? And, and um, yeah, I, I mean, it, and obviously it depends on how how hands on and, and and involved the conservator actually is. Right. I mean, I would imagine that her day to day, it's not like she, there's somebody saying, well, it's time to eat now. Brittany, it's time to get up now. Brittany, it's time. No, you don't want to wear that today. You need to wear this today. I mean, there's not you know, I don't think it's that level of conservatorship, you know, but um but uh, nonetheless, um, you know, she's she's apparently coming out and saying that she's she's happy and everybody just chill. Uh, and she certainly has enough you know money in her life that she's not going to have to worry about doing things if she doesn't want to. So. So I have a story that's going to make you smile. Um, there's a couple in Arkansas that's celebrating their 80th wedding anniversary. 80th. Wow. So you've Uv or Uvi Eva Evat and her husband Leroy Evat, E V A T T Evat Evat. Uv and Evat, huh? Uv and Evat, or Uv Uv Evat and Leroy Evat. So it's oh, Uv and Leroy. Uv Leroy. Or, you know, yes. Uh, Uv is one hundred and one. Leroy is one hundred and three. And um, can you imagine? He was a cradle robber. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, They've been married for 80 years, but their relationship dates back longer than they remember. Um, 
Uh, so that you know, ask them how long have you guys known each other? They just say forever. Yeah. Um, the crap. I don't the know. I can't remember what I had together. for breakfast. <laughs> the couple who grew up together in Bologna, Arkansas, told the outlet that their long-lasting relationship is the result of good communication and teamwork. I'm the head of the house. Uh, she's the neck. She controls the head. This is what Leroy told uh, his local radio or TV station. When a reporter asked Newbie if she was the leader in their relationship, she laughed as she remarked, that's what he said when she pointed to her husband. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's, they have a daughter, a granddaughter, and, and, a, and uh, a few great-grandchildren. Uh-huh. So I just think that's so awesome. That is. That's great that they're both still with us and that they've been together that long and yeah and seem happy about it yeah and have a good natured humor about it yeah they that they, they i mean they're joking with each other that's uh you know hum- humor's important and uh that's cool yeah it's may we both cool. celebrate an 80th anniversary with our spouses that would be great i hope so although the problem there is i as long as my children did not die first because when you get to be 100 that, yeah. And, you know, you had your kids young. That means that, you know, your kids are in their 80s, right? Or yeah. in their late 70s. And so I'd want them to be alive and kicking. I want to go first. Yeah. I don't want them to go first. Yeah. Although if you have long-lived genes, they probably do too, right? So that would be, uh, Indeed. you know, of course, no accounting for accidental deaths and things like that and cancers. And there's all kinds of stuff out there that'll get you, but you can't live your life worried about that stuff. So, um, yeah. Yeah, that is. The, you're right. Puts a smile on my face. You know something else that put a smile on my face. Have you seen the picture of um, of uh, uh, Biden and his wife visiting Jimmy Carter and his wife? Oh my gosh! Yeah, it <laughs> it looks like okay. It it, it looks like that that the that the, uh, the Carters are are dolls. Yeah. Right. That they're yeah. that they've gone into a, a large dollhouse and they're sitting with dolls. It looks. Yeah. It is so badly photoshopped, I can't even begin to tell you. Yeah, I don't think that's Photoshop. Um, if you use a wide-angle lens, because like if you're sitting in somebody's living room, you can't back up far enough to get that done with a normal uh, length lens uh, like that you would use for doing portraits. And if you notice, the Carters are sitting, you know, there's a table between them. Those chairs are fairly wide apart. And so the Bidens are kneeling down, but they're both on the edges of the image, right? So a, a, a sort of fish-eyed type of wide-angle lens will distort things around the edges. And so if you also look at it, you'll see the, near the bottom at the edges is Jimmy Carter's feet, and it makes him look like he has giant clown feet in that same picture. It's the distortion <laughs> of the lens. It does. And, and so, it, it's so, comical. I mean, it's, pull, it's Why would they publish that? That's my question, is who puts that it on? It ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it makes, it makes Joe Biden look like he's, you know, seven and a half feet tall, and <laughs> Rosalind Carter looks like she's three feet tall. I mean, it just it's it, and they're and they're literally next to each other. But because the lens has distorted it so badly, it's like, yeah, anybody who looks at that goes like, oh, you know, that's something you show your friend and go, look how goofy this is. We couldn't publish that because it's right? garbage. Um, or at the very least, there are lens correction things that you can do in Photoshop to adjust that. You know, to, to because it's so distorted, it's like really, who published yeah. that? That's terrible. It's terrible. It looks ridiculous. It's like it's like. Uh, Gulliver's Travels and their yeah. Lilliputians and the Giants, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's so bad. I mean, old people Part shrink, but holy moly, that's ridiculous. Yeah, they you look know? like puppets. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think Jimmy Carter, when he was more vibrant, was like six foot tall, and and this makes him look like he shrunk three feet. 
know, it's like, yeah, when you get old, you shrink, but not that much, not fifty percent. No, I saw that no. and I just giggled. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to, you know, look at that and go, oh, "Man, somebody was having fun with Photoshop," but really, that's just a well, lens distortion. The, but holy moly, the lens, the, the not the lens, the late night uh, uh, television shows have been, you know, they've been they've been going to town on this picture because it's so ridiculous. It is. It's nuts. So ridiculous. I can't believe. And you know what's interesting too is that the Carters' heads look massive compared to their little bodies. Yeah. Yeah, the whole thing. I mean, they, just, they do look like ventriloquist dummies. They do. In fact, the way Biden is leaning over Rosalind Carter, you can't even really see his left, his right arm. It's down. It's there, but it's it's you can barely see it. It almost looks like he's he's got his hand behind her like a ventriloquist. He does. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It is so funny. <laughs> You're right. That would be perfect. Just just crop those two out into a photo and go. Uh, you know, uh, and and go. Uh, you know, this is my Rosalind dummy. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about a couple I'm who've been together talk- a long time. The Carters. That's kind of yeah, cool. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. So yeah. we are out of time, my friend. We are, and what I will do is I will grab this picture and I will put it in our feed so people who are watching the podcast, if you watch normally, you just see our. Um, our logo there, but uh, we'll put this picture in on the end. When we start talking about it, I'll go back to that part and put that in so you can see the photo along with it on your podcast player. So take a look and you can have a giggle right along with us. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Todd Brinker. I'm Aaron Brinker. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.